don't you? Yeah. We gotta leave at ten after six. We get home just in time. Have dinner. Oh, hey, it's you guys again. Are y'all following me? <laughs> oh, I'm just out here today with my family, and we just thought we'd go for a walk before dinner. Gosh, it's such a beautiful afternoon, and out here on the nature trail. Why, why look at that right there. Isn't that just kind of a beautiful, serene, perfect family moment. Yeah, that's my family. Sometimes three, four seconds a week. <laughs> serene is not really what comes to my mind when I think of family. More like uh, wild. Gosh, with schedules and conflicts and issues and cost. Well, I tell you what, it's work to make a family happen. But I love it. I bet a lot of you do too. Family is, uh, well, it's good. You know, I, I guess as a, as a father and as a husband, I've got a duty. I've got an obligation to care for them, to provide for them, to protect them. But you know what I do with my family? It's not obligation that sends me over there. I, I'm not heading over there because of duty. No, it's devotion. And I love my family. It's out of a sense of devotion that I do what I do. That's what makes family so good. You know, here at Colonial Heights Baptist, well, we're a family. We're a family of devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And our family has a purpose. We want to impact our community and our world for Christ. And we've discovered a, a process that we think helps us as individuals and as a family have that impact. It, it, it's a process of discovery, discipleship. Here's my favorite part, devotion. Well, I think it's such a shame that, that so many people in so many churches, that, that what they do, whether it's going to church or serving or whatever else, they do that out of a sense of, well, guilt or obligation or duty. And I guess sometimes there's a little bit of feeling of that, but I think more than anything else, it should be devotion that drives that whole process. As a matter of fact, it's the devoted. When you reach that part of the process that comes back around and makes the discovery and the discipleship happen. Everything should be driven by love, by devotion. Boy, we've got a lot of people in our family that have really reached that part of the process. Everything they're doing in our church is, is driven by that devotion. And I'll tell you something, it's a lot. They work hard, they serve, they, they give of themselves. And I, I hope a lot of times it's real rewarding. I imagine sometimes it's, it's not so rewarding. But you know what, they're not doing what they do out of a sense of reward but they love it. They love Jesus, and they love His church. I tell you what, when love starts driving the whole process, wow, you know what? You can change a world. And that makes it worth it. What's that? Oh, I've got to go. Got to eat dinner. Take care. Gosh, it's, that's the third video. It's kind of like finishing a soap opera, isn't it? That's the third of our three videos that we're using to, in our new new members class to help them understand what you're a part of 
when you're a part of Colonial Heights Baptist Church. And you've learned those three, I hope, those three words now. Discovery, discipleship, devotion. There's a very tight connection between those three words. Discipleship, that center word, it begins with the process of discovery. It results in fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We've talked a lot about this being a process going on in our church, but I think you've probably heard me say at least once, the truth of the matter is everybody on the planet is somewhere in this process. Now, obviously, a whole lot of humanity gets bogged down in the discovery part or even heads the wrong direction in the discovery part. But everybody is somewhere in this process. And our church wants to be a place where people can come and they can move through that process on purpose. Our church wants to be a place that goes out and looks for people in discovery, looks for people in discipleship and helps them, comes alongside them and helps them move through that process on purpose. We believe it's the process that gives you as an individual, gives us as a church our best opportunity to impact our community and our world for Christ. A process that gives us a chance to be heroes of God. I've been using that term a lot lately. I hope by the end of the sermon today I'm going to be able to show you how that actually is the case, not just hype. Now, today we want to focus on that, that third part of the process of devotion. And as we do that, we're dealing with why do we do what we do? You know, a lot of the other part of the two processes, we've been talking about what we do in discovery and what we do as a disciple. But now we're moving a little bit further and it's a little bit harder as we get to why do we do what we do under the name of Christ? Why, why did we come to church today? Why do we put money in the plate? Why do we go... Do a Bible fellowship class. Why do we get involved in one of the ministries out there at the table? Why do, why do we love somebody? Why do we forgive somebody? Why do we encourage somebody? Why do we do anything that we do under the name of Jesus? Well, the truth of the matter is we've got all kinds of reasons. There's not, there's not one reason. We, we do it because we feel guilty. We do it out of a sense of duty or obligation, as I was pointing out there. We do it because we want to obey the Lord. We want to honor Him. Sometimes we do these things because it makes us feel good. Sometimes we do it because it makes us look good. we got all kinds of reasons that we do these things. I would suggest that the Lord would like to grow us to a place of having one reason. One reason that drives everything that we do. Let's see if we can discover that this morning. Would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Corinthians kind of there in the middle of the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I hope you'll use one of ours as we study this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to begin in verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Paul's writing the church in Corinth and he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. I testify that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves especially to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he also should complete this grace to you. 
Now, as you excel in everything, you've excelled in faith and speech and knowledge and all diligence and in your love for us. Excel also in this grace, and it's referring to the grace of giving. I'm not saying this as a command, rather by means of the diligence of others, I'm testing the genuineness of your love. As I said, Paul is writing the church in Corinth here. He refers to Titus. The church in Corinth had offered uh, about a year earlier to take up an offering and to give that to a group of churches, to a group of believers in Judea. They were in a, in a real time of severe poverty and severe famine, and they were going to take up an offering to help them out. But as I said, that was a year ago. And now here is a year later, and they still haven't done anything about it. And so in this letter, Paul is saying, you know, we've, we've encouraged, he's telling the church in Corinth, we've encouraged Titus to get after it and, and to get this offering taken up. And by the way, this message today is not about giving. That, that's just an illustration being used here in this particular passage of what some believers doing, are doing. But we're not talking about what. Today, We're not talking about what we do as a follower of Christ. We're talking about why we do what we do. And Paul is going to use the Macedonians and we're going to see why they do what they do. And it's that why that he uses to encourage and challenge the Corinthians. And so with that charge to get the Corinthians going, he uses the Macedonians as a model, as an example. They're, they're neighbors to the north. Now, what's interesting about what the Macedonians have done is the Macedonians themselves are in a time of poverty. They do not have a lot. Not only are they poor, but that particular area at that moment was going through a great deal of persecution. It was not easy to be a Christian in Macedonia. It was not paying off to be a Christian in Macedonia. It was hard. As a matter of fact, the more you understand about this church, the more likely it would be that you would see the Macedonians writing Paul and saying, help! I mean, we need some, We need people. We need money. We need food. We need encouragement. We need direction. Man, we're getting beaten up up here. Could you send somebody to minister to us? But that's not what they're doing. They're not sending a letter saying what we need. What does it say here? It says they are begging insistently to be a ministry to somebody else. And Paul's overwhelmed by their ministry, by their giving. As a matter of fact, he describes what they did in, in three ways. He said, first of all, they gave sacrificially. As a matter of fact, they gave well beyond their need. He says that there. You gave beyond your ability. It's almost like Paul's questioning him. You know, guys, you, you shouldn't be given this much. Not in your own circumstances. Not in your own situation. That doesn't make sense. He says that they gave on their own accord. On their own initiative. They, were, they weren't forced. There was no heavy-handedness there. Nobody had coerced them to do that. And then thirdly, he says of them, and I think this is probably what drives the other two things, they'd given themselves to the Lord. Yeah, I, I belong to Christ. I, I belong to Him for His glory and His kingdom. Everything I am, everything that's on me, everything that's in my pockets, I, good times and bad times, I belong to Him for whatever He wants to do. That was their attitude. It's pretty overwhelming. That's what I sense as Paul's right about him. He's pretty overwhelmed by what they've done. How did, how did they do that? Why? Why did they do that? Then you've got the, the Corinthians here who, who were not poor, 
Their, their particular city is not really in a, in a spot of real intense persecution. And, and yet they can't fulfill what they had committed to do. And so Paul is encouraging them. He's encouraging Titus. And in verse 7, he says to them here, just as you've excel, excelled in other areas, that kind of refers to last week, doesn't it? Remember we talked about growing in the, in the mind and in the heart and in the activity. And he mentions things like that. You're excelling. You're, you're progressing in these areas of knowledge and speech and, and even in your love for us. But he says, but I do want you to grow in this gift, in this grace of giving. Now again, that's a what, but we want to understand the why. And we see that in verse 8. He says there, very important phrase, I'm not saying this as a command. I've seen people use that phrase very wrongly, misinterpret it, misuse it, to say that the New Testament does not command giving. They say, right here, Paul's not commanding that they give. No, Paul's not. First of all, Paul's not talking about the activity or the discipline of giving. He's talking about a single commitment that they made. And he's saying, I don't want you to fulfill that commitment as a command. But it is a bigger issue here. Paul is actually trying to communicate something when he says, I'm not challenging you. I'm not saying this to you as a command. Because this is not about a command. This is about what? Love. Paul wants to see them grow to the place that what they're doing is not about a command, a rule, a regulation, but it is about their love for Jesus Christ. I want you to look at this. This is an opportunity to, what does it say, show the genuineness of your love. You know what? God blesses obedience. I mean, that is one of the most repeated, one of the clearest themes that runs from Genesis all the way to Revelation. God blesses obedience. There is nothing wrong with obedience and there is everything right about God's commands. But there is something better than obedience. Devotion. You know, you could look at that line right there and that... That could be taken wrong. That could almost sound like I'm saying something contrary to Scripture. Because if I said, hey, you've got A and you've got B, and, and, and B's better, well, then you wouldn't choose A, would you? You'd go after, well, B's better. I'm going to take what's better. But, but that statement right there is not weighing two things against each other and saying, forget one, go after the other. Because the truth of the matter is the path to devotion is on the road of obedience. They go hand in hand. But obedience is not the end of the goal. It's beyond that. It's devotion. God wants to grow us to the place that we're doing what we do anywhere in the ministry, anywhere in His house, that we're doing that, not because of a rule or a regulation, but we're doing that out of a sense of love. You know what God's commands are? They're not what we often treat them as. We, we tend to treat God's commands as a list of rules and regulations, and I've, I've got to keep that in order for God to like me. No, those commands and regulations are a roadmap. They're a roadmap to show us opportunities and places we can love God. I mean, how would I know that God feels so loved when I tell the truth unless that was there in the Ten Commandments? How would I know my being true and faithful to my wife would, would be something that God feels blessed by and loved by unless it was there in Scripture? God's commands show us places that God feels loved by you and I. And as you saw in the video, 
I've got four kids. That means I give a lot of commands in my house. I mean, a, a lot of commands. You know, you got, you got to pick up your room. You know, eat your peas. Somebody's got to bathe the dog. Pick up your room. Do your homework. Take a bath. Stop that. Pick up your room. You know, I don't, I don't think they actually ever pick up their room, to be quite honest with you. And, you know, a lot of times they do obey. They do what I've asked. They do what I've commanded. And, and when they do that for me or they do that for their mom, you know, we feel loved. We feel respected. We feel good. And generally speaking, when, when we feel good, they're going to end up feeling good. It's just kind of the law of things, isn't it? But you know what? Every now and then I walk into the house or into the room or into some kind of situation. And, and one of my kids has done something that is like what I've asked in the past. They've done something, but I didn't ask them to do it. You know, walk in and, and one of them has uh, made all the lunches for school tomorrow for themselves and their, their siblings. And they did that. Now, that's something that's been asked of them in the past. But when they did it in that moment right there, nobody would asked that of them. They just did it. Now, if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. That is a good Good moment. I mean, yes, when any time I ask them to do something and they do it, I, I feel blessed. I feel loved. I feel respected. But when I walk in and see them doing the kinds of things they know we've asked that we know that, that they know we've want done, but they did it and it, it wasn't based on a command. And I tell you something, that really, really is a blessing. And that really, really makes you feel loved and respected. Well, guess what, guys? God the Father is absolutely no different. Does He feel blessed when, when we see His commands and we obey His commands? Yes, of course He does. But when He watches you and I begin to move beyond a, a list and move beyond rules and, and move beyond what the church is asking you to do, and all of a sudden now it's love, it's devotion, it's a desire to bless Him that really drives that, he feels really, really blessed. I tell you what, this, this is a hard part of the process, folks. Because it's not a what, it's a why. You see, in our human nature, we tend to get caught all up in the activity. When you and I think of being a Christian, we probably tend to think of activities. What makes me a Christian? Or what makes me a good Christian? Well, I, I do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven... Or at least I try to do most of those things most of the time anyway. And, and the more I can do them, the better I can feel about myself that I'm a, I'm a good Christian and I'm doing what God wants. And, and we weigh a lot of that by activity. By activity. And it's real easy for us to stay totally focused on the activity and never really look inside and see what's happening in the heart. Is love driving this? Is rules and regulations driving this? Folks, I promise you, God wants to grow us to the place where it's love that is driving the entire process. And, and what we want to do here, what are you a part of when you're a part of Colonial Heights Baptist Church? What we want to do here is we want to be a place that helps people to do that. That, that, that provides the kind of discovery, the kind of discipleship, the kind of motivation that everything we're doing is being driven by love. Being driven by love. 
You know, y'all are busy. I, I mean, there's nobody here who's going to say, you know, I sit around most of the time, not a thing to do in the world. I'm just, I'm just waiting for somebody to ask me to do things. No, you're, you're busy. You're busy enough. And I'm pretty sure you didn't hire me to dream up a whole bunch of more things to make you busier when you come to church. Folks, we don't want to be a church that makes you busy doing church stuff. We don't want to be a church that makes you busy doing religious stuff. We do want to be a church that gives you hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of opportunities. Places where you can go. And what's it say? Show the genuineness of your love. We want to be a church that is busy loving our Savior and loving His people. And folks, when you and I reach that spot, when we, when we reach it as individuals, when we reach it as a church, we're impacting our world for Christ. And we are heroes of God. I said back at the beginning of the sermon, is that just hype? Woohoo! You're a hero of God! Well, does me saying that actually make it true? How, how, how do I know I'm impacting the world? How, how do I know that God makes, that makes me a hero before God? Well, it's right here, isn't it? Isn't that what we see in the Macedonians? You say, what are you saying? I don't see where it says they're heroes. Well, here's what I mean. It's January 27, 2008. We live in Colonial Heights, Virginia. We are 2,000 years separated from the Macedonians. We're about eight or 9,000 miles geographically separated from the Macedonians. And we are still talking about them today. Their devotion of the Lord is still being talked about today. I say that's having an impact, wouldn't you? God's talking about it. God put it here so that you and I would be talking about it. That's a hero of God. Isn't that what you do, heroes? You talk about their story. You share it to inspire and encourage others because of what they did. God puts them here. That's what it looks like to be a hero. That's what it looks like to have an impact. Well, how, how do we get there? How, how do we do that? Well, dare I say, for the third week in a row, it's a process. It's a process. It begins with discovery. Discovering who God is in Christ Jesus. Discovering who I am in Christ Jesus. Discovering God's will for my life in and through His church. And as that discovery takes root and it begins to grow, then I, I want to grow and develop in it. We call that discipleship. And we grow in our mind, we grow in our heart, we grow in our activity toward Christ's likeness. And somewhere along the way, kind of hard to point out, somewhere along the way what's driving all of that in our life is our love for God. Is our love for Jesus Christ. We want to be a church where people can come through that process on purpose. Not accidentally, but on purpose can come along others and help them move through that on purpose. You know, here's the part of the sermon where I'd like to say, boy, can you imagine? Can you imagine if all of us were at that place of devotion, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ? But, you know, I don't think the church ever reaches that place. I, the whole process is always going to be bottom heavy. There's always more people in discovery. Just look at the planet. There's always more people in discovery than there is in discipleship. And there's always more people in discipleship than there is in being fully devoted followers. As a matter of fact, if we are fully devoted followers, we're going out into the world and we're looking for more and more and more people in discovery. We're looking for more and more people who need to be discipled and we're bringing them with us. So there's always going to be more. But what we do want to see is more and more people moving up that process. 
more and more people coming into that place of being fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Because when you as an individual, when we as a church are driven by that love, listen to me, there is no power in hell that can stop you or stop this church. There's no power on this earth that can stop that. We become a great tool for the advancement of God's kingdom and God's glory. Man, may our prayer be that, that in, in the weeks and the months ahead as people pour into that building, they don't see the carpet. They don't see bigness. They don't see bricks. What they see is these people, man, they are in love with Jesus Christ. May it be so, Lord Jesus. May it be so. Let's pray. Father, we want to be a church where every word, every activity, every ministry, everything that goes on in here is an opportunity to move myself and to see others move through that process. Lord, we want to be fully devoted followers, not of a church, not of a denomination. We don't want to be fully devoted followers of a religion. We want to be devoted followers of a person, a relationship, Jesus Christ. Relationships work when they're driven by love. Oh God, I pray for each of us that we have a burden in our heart this week to look inside and try to evaluate why, why do I do what I do? God, would You give us wisdom? Would You give us insight into our own heart, into our own mind? Why am I doing what I do in God's house? Why do I do what I do with God's people? And Lord, I pray. Oh, Lord, I pray. I pray I have a desire to be obedient no matter what my motives are. But God, I pray that more and more of that obedience is driven by love. Lord, I would... I don't, I don't know if this is selfish or not. God, I, I want to be like the Macedonians. I'd like to see churches around this world and around this country talking about the devotion of those people in Colonial Heights. They love their Savior. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray this. Amen. You know, I did leave out one really, really important thing in this sermon. As a matter of fact, it goes on to explain it in verse 9. The reason the Macedonians could love Jesus like that because that's how Jesus loved them. First John says the same thing. We only love Him because He first loved us. You know, as we talk about loving God and serving Him, folks, we're not talking about something we bring to God as this offering that He needs. We're talking about responding to His love and His offering to us. Have you received His offering, His gift of Jesus Christ, eternal life, the forgiveness of all your sins? If you've never received that, perhaps you'd like to discover what God has for you. We conclude our services with a time of invitation. We invite you. Our, our family will be standing and we'll be singing. And while we're doing that, we invite you to come forward. 
Take one of these pastors by the hand and say, I want to discover what God has for me in Jesus Christ. Or maybe you know you need to be a member of this church family. God's leading you here. And you say, I want to discover what God's will is for me in this church. If that's what God is saying to you, we invite you now to come and take a step of faith. Make it public. Because we're not ashamed of anything that Jesus calls us to do. Take a step. Come down here. Tell this pastor what you need. Let us pray with you and talk with you for a few moments. And help you begin that journey God has for you with Christ and with His church.